And we've talked about how that in every chapter, we've seen it, in every chapter, uh, Paul has to deal with them on issues that they're just completely uh, messed up on. When we got to chapter 12, 13, and 14, I told you that this was three chapters that make up a complete section in this book that he deals with them on their misuse of spiritual gifts. And if you remember, I showed you how you put that in order. I showed you in chapter 12, verse 1, the first verse, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts. And then in the last chapter, in the last verse, he simply says, Let all things be done decently and in order. And in between those two verses, the one in chapter 12, verse 1, and the one in chapter 14, verse 40, you have him putting in the right order the concept of spiritual gifts for this church. Now, by him doing that for them, trying to get them straightened out, we learn from their mistakes and we learn by the things that they were not doing that we know the Bible teaches, we learn how to put them in the proper order. So we kind of have taken each chapter and given you, you know, exactly the key aspects in it. And my goal for you is to have these chapters broken down into your Bible. And that's the way I've approached it. I figured since we're coming through this, let's get the material together in the right place where you can have everything laid out for you exactly the way that, that you, you, you want it so you have it at your fingertips. Now, in chapter 12, you'll saw, you'll see, you remember that we saw a list of gifts uh, and we defined spiritual gifts. We gave you a very clear Bible definition. And out of that definition, we found that spiritual gifts fall into three categories. And this was vital in understanding uh, how to keep it all separate. And this is what the church at Corinth was not doing. We saw that there was a set of spiritual gifts that were given strictly to the apostles. And these are called the gifts of the apostles in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Then we saw the second category were gifts that were given to the church. We went to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, and we saw those gifts laid out. Then the third section of gifts we talked about was the one that God gives to us as individuals. And we talked about how that God has a job for you and I to do. And when you get saved and you get plugged into a church and you begin to get what the church is supposed to do for you, then as you grow and the Spirit of God begins to manifest itself through you, then you get whatever you need by the Spirit of God to do whatever job has called you to do. Now, those three categories ought to be at the top of your list to understand spiritual gifts. Because if you don't get the right order in that category, then you're going to get messed up just like the church at Corinth. We also told you that the three, uh, all three of these gifts, no matter whether to the apostles or to who, they're all given by the same Spirit of God. They're just in different aspects for different things. Then we came to chapter 13, and we saw in chapter 13 that, that there can be no power of God. That'll be the gifts of God. There can be no power of God in your life without the character of God in your life. And now we know what that character is because we defined it last week, didn't we? Now we know that the character of God is nothing more than the aspect of charity. And we talked about that last week and went through the 16 concepts that's listed in that chapter of what charity is. And we showed you how that in all the new Bibles, they take out the word charity and put in the word love. And now you know that that's not what we're to do. 
the word is charity, and now you know why it should be charity, and we've seen the 16 aspects of charity that really is, makes up the character of God in your life and in my life, and the church does not have this. And, and then in chapter 12, verse 17, we saw that all this is a manifestation of the Spirit of God in your life. You know, that's really the goal for you being here today. When you leave here today, you should be a little bit better than when you came. My job is to give you the opportunity that when you come to church or you come to Thursday night Bible study or anything that we do, my job is simply to have you leave better than when you came in. Now, you might not always like what was said, and it may rub you the wrong way, but as long as it's the truth, then that's, that's good. And I can't make you do what's right with what I give you. All my job responsibility is is give you the opportunity to get the material. You have to be accountable for that. But, you know, God is giving you what you need right now in whatever spiritual stage you're in. Some of you have just gotten saved. Some of you are, have been around for a while and you're, you're really starting to put it all together. Some of you have been here for, since we opened the doors and you're really handling a major part of this work. Many of you are doing that. That only happens for one reason. It's because as you grow... God manifests himself through you, and then in the process of you getting God's character, the biblical principles, looking at your life, making decisions, and doing things the way the Bible says to do them in your own personal life, in your own public life, and everything that you do, then God gives you the, the power, the gifts to get that job done, whatever God's called you to do. So now we come to chapter 14 today. And now in this last chapter, he begins to deal with the main issue that this church is, is really misusing. And it formed for us one of the greatest studies that we can ever hope to take. Because now, where he's really never hit the subject, now in chapter 14, he's going to deal with the issues of speaking in tongues. And boy, he hits it very hard, and he deals with it up front through the Word of God, and leaves no questions about it. And for you and for me in the world that we live in today, and we, we've, we've mirrored all this to the modern charismatic movement, now he begins to deal with the issue of speaking in tongues and the church of Corinth misusing them and abusing them. And what he basically does for us, which is invaluable, is he now sets the guidelines. He sets the basic rules for it. You remember last week we talked about chapter 13, verse 1, and we saw that they had done two things with tongues. The first thing he talks about in 13.1 was the tongues of men. Now, we know from our past studies that that's other languages, known languages. And they have brought in tongues uh, that were the legitimate tongues, but they're misusing them and using them and to set it up some kind of, well, I speak with tongues, so I'm more spiritual than you. And, of course, tongues was never given to the Gentile church to be used the way that they're using it. And then the second issue we saw was the tongues of angels. And this church has taken almost everything that God has given them and, and totally in, put it in disarray, completely misusing it. Now, not only are they taking the legitimate tongues that were given to the nation of Israel and misusing them in the church, that wasn't enough. Now, they're coming up with some kind of unknown language that nobody understands, nobody knows, and the person giving, speaking in that language is profaning that God is giving them some great revelation, and now it's a, it's a, it's a who gets a better revelation from God deal. And that's what's happening here. 
And Paul deals with this issue. And, you know, one of the things that I think comes out of a study like this, at least I hope it does, is that you can see how that going to the Bible and only the Bible will solve any issue that comes up about anything in life. And I, I, I get that from almost everything that, that I teach. I'm not sure, <clears throat> maybe you all get it, but I'm telling you, <clears throat> the example out of this is very clear. Whatever issue comes up in life, whatever somebody wants to talk about or get into, if you go to the Bible and the Bible alone, and we're going to explain that in just a moment, you can figure it all out and you get the answer and you never make a wrong choice. Now, as I have stated many times, I'm not doing this study to change anybody's mind. I'm really not. <clears throat> you may be listening to this tape on the Internet, or you may, uh, somebody may have gave you this tape or this series uh, on CD or whatever, and uh, you may be listening to it, and I'm hoping it's a blessing to you. But at the end of the day, you need to know, I'm not doing this so I will change the world's mind about tongue. That's not my goal. My goal is to teach my people the truth so you know what the Bible says about it. That's only farther I take it. God wants to use it in somebody's life other than that. That's great. But I'm not coming up here with the idea that I'm going to change everybody's mindset on planet Earth or in Kansas City about speaking in tongues. That's not my goal. You are my, my responsibility. You and you alone. My responsibility doesn't really go outside of the church that God gave me as far as me taking care of my people. And my job is to make sure that in everything in the Bible, I give you the truth, the way the Bible lays it out, that you have the tools to put your Bible together and learn it. That's the only reason I'm doing this. I want you to understand the Bible and the right Bible doctrine concerning not only just tongues, but spiritual gifts. Because I guarantee you, everybody in this building probably has somebody that's connected with the tongues movement, either directly or indirectly. I guarantee you. And uh, in chapter 14, Paul deals with two basic issues. And this is the first thing we want to we get out. We're going to break this chapter down in section. And I want you to get these sections down. And if you're sitting at one of our study tables in the back, then you're going to have an easier time. But you need to, I just go ahead and do it right now because it's going to be very easy to follow and you might as well get it done. In chapter 14, Paul deals with two issues on speaking in tongues. And the whole book breaks down around these two issues. And the first thing that he deals with is the issue of an unknown tongue. And he tells us what an unknown tongue is or what it isn't. And that's very important that you learn that. And this will really help you today when we just understand this format. But then the second issue that he does, I think, is even more invaluable. <clears throat> because what he does next is he lays down the rules for speaking in tongues. And he lays out six rules that if you're going to speak in tongues, you've got to follow these rules. And by doing this, he basically eliminates, eliminates the modern-day tongue movement. And uh, he goes through six rules. And when, I, when he does this, <clears throat> Paul basically puts an end to the idea that tongues were ever for uh, the New Testament church in the sense of, of today uh, or in the last 2,000 years. You've got to remember that Paul is the apostle to the church. Where I am the pastor to this church and my authority and my responsibility is to you to make sure you get the truth. Take that and make it in a larger format and take the apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was not a pastor. He was an evangelist. But more than that, he was an apostle. 
And his job as the apostle, he's not an apostle to the nation of Israel. He's not one of the original 12. Paul's apostleship is to the church. And what Paul did was he wrote authoritatively to the church and told the church exactly what they're supposed to believe, exactly how the church is supposed to operate, and he never deviates from that. So when the apostle to the church writes to the church issues about how you conduct a service, how you deal with things, and certainly in this case, spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues, he's our authority. He's our authority. And you're going to find out, as I said earlier, when you simply just take the Bible and let the Bible speak for itself and just take it as you find it and let it lay itself out and you break this chapter down as we break all chapters down as easily as we can, then uh, we, uh, we're, we're good to go and we're going to see some things. And I think you'll see from the Bible today that the modern-day tongues movement is filled with, like the church of Corinth, a lot of baby Christians And without exception, every aspect of speaking in tongues is totally wrong and against the Word of God today uh, in everything that you will see. And you can let the Bible be the judge, but I want to give you this first. I think this is classic. Now, I'm not under any illusion that this is going to, as I said, going to change anybody's mind who's already bought into it because we already know that the charismatic mindset is not one that follows the Bible as their final authority. But I want to give you two key verses in this chapter, which basically we're going to hitchhike off of all through today. And it's found in chapter 14, verse 37 and 38. And I think this is a classic. This is Paul at his best. And this is what I call the old trap play up the middle. And the Bible's famous for trap plays up the middle because the Bible is the only book in the world, and I say it all the time. The Bible's the only book in the world. When you start reading it, it starts reading you. The Bible says the Bible discerns the thoughts and intents of your heart. And boy, I'm telling you something. You want to believe what you want to believe in spite of what the Word of God said, God puts places just like this to break your neck. Now watch this. Look at verse 37. If any man think himself to be a prophet, or spiritual, all right? Are you a spiritual person? You say, well, I'm a charismatic. Well, that's good because we learned last week that the word charismatic means gifted one. So you are a gifted one. You have the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is that right? Yes, I do. Then, you, then you're, you're, you're what he's talking about. If any man think that he is a prophet or spiritual, you have the fullness of the, of the gospel, do you? The fullness of the signs, do you? You've experienced the baptism of the Holy Ghost, have you? Then you're, you fancy yourself as someone who has a great relationship with God and has the power of God. Is that you? See, that's who he's writing to. See, the church of Corinth thought that's who they were. And many times charismatics will, will, will think that's who they are. Now look what he says. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Now, do you get that? Then if he lays down six rules of tongues that doesn't go along with your church or what you think, who's right or who's wrong now? He just told you, that if you're a prophet and you're spiritual, that the things he's about to tell you 
are the commandments of God. You say, I don't want to believe that. When I'm done with this sermon this morning, they say, walk out of here and say, well, I think he's dead wrong. I don't like one thing he said. I don't think, I don't think that he's right at all. Uh, well, I got a verse for you. It's verse 38. If any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant still. You see that thing? Now, what do you do with that? What God is about to show you on tongues is the definition from the apostle to the church under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, and that seals it. You either accept it as being spiritual or you stay as ignorant as you already are. Your choice, your call. Now, I, I, this chapter will break down into seven sections. And within these seven sections, we're going to see six rules. But we're gonna, I'm going to show you these sections one at a time. I want you to mark them in your Bible and then put the notes in correspondingly, however you've got to do it. Now, the first section will be in, in verses 1 through 3. And before we read that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We do love you. We thank you for all that you do for us, for all that you've given us. We pray now, Father, that you'll help us to grasp the great principles of this chapter Help us to learn and be uh, everything that we need. And Lord, we do love you now, and we ask your blessings upon this time. In Jesus' name, for a sake we ask it, amen. Now, as I said, this chapter will break down into seven sections. Section one will be chapter 14, verses one through three. All right, let's read that. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit the Spirit he speaketh uh, mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Now, the first thing I want you to see here, and I want to remind you of what we talked about last week. The first thing he says here is follow after charity. Now, we saw charity last week, and we saw that charity was the number one thing to have over every spiritual gift that you could have. We now know that. And uh, we know that uh, he's saying here that uh, spiritual gifts are good and, uh, and you desire spiritual gifts, but that you should prophesy. Now, let me explain prophesying for you. Prophesying is preaching. Prophesying is taking the Word of God and telling somebody else what God said in His Word. That's another word for preaching. I know we think that many times when somebody says prophesies, it's talking about something in the future. That's prophecy, but prophesying is basically telling somebody else what the Bible has laid out and has said. Now, I want you to look at verse 2, and here comes our first issue that he deals with. And he says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue. Now, this is the first time the word unknown tongue shows up in your Bible. Now, the charismatic would have you believe that, that this unknown tongue was the tongues of angels. And it's a heavenly language that only real spiritual people get to. And, uh, uh, and, of course, that's not true. Real spiritual people would catch that the word unknown, unknown looks a little different than the word before it and the word after it. That's what a real spiritual person would do. A real spiritual person would see that the word unknown is in italics. A real spiritual person would spend the time to find out why there are words in italics in your Bible. Now, that's what a real spiritual person would do. A real spiritual person wouldn't come down and read unknown tongue and just make it whatever you want. A real spiritual person would stop and say, that word doesn't look like the other words. Oh, that word's in italics. 
Wow, there's another word in italics. Wow, there's a number of words in italics in my Bible. Gee, I wonder why the words in italics are in my Bible. Now, that's what a real spiritual person would do, or you would think they would, see? And yet the average Christian today, the average charismatic without exception, doesn't have one clue why there are words in their Bible that are in italics. They have no clue why the word unknown is in italics. And of course, the reason for that is simple. The reason for that is, and by the way, by the way, if you have any other Bible than the King James Bible, you have an NIV this morning, it won't even say the word unknown in there. They just take that word out and make it tongues, and they make it real confusing if you follow with me here and see why this thing has got the word unknown in it. Now, let me talk to you about the words in italics. And all the new Bibles take them out. And the reason why all the new Bibles take them out is because the new Bibles did not come off the same Greek text that the King James Bible came with, but we don't need to get into all that boring stuff today. But that's the fundamental reason. Well, let me tell you about the words in italics. When you go from one language to another, you have in language translation what they call idioms. And idioms are, are, are particles of words or words that make the sentence make sense. And when you go from one language to another, direct translation, the idioms don't match up. So you can't get a direct translation that makes sense going from, in this case, Greek to English. You couldn't do it if you went from German to English or French to German. Anytime you switch from one language to the other, the words are not going to match. The not matching of those words are called idioms. And what happened was when the King James translators translated the King James Bible from the Greek to the English, the words that they had to add under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I might say, the words that they had to add to make the words, the text make sense, they put in italics. Now, let me just tell you something about the King James translators. And again, this is not a history lesson this morning. But originally, 57 men started out, or 54 men started out to translate the King James Bible. By the time they actually got down to it, some of them had died, and there was only 47. Those 47 men met together, and they divided into, into six groups. And they were represented by Oxford, Cambridge, and Westminster, which was the main uh, Bible aspect in England at that particular point in time. Uh, when they translated the King James Bible, they were probably some of the most honorable, godly men the world has ever seen. And they wanted to put out a translation that honored God. And so when they had to add words that were in the thing to make the thing make sense, they were so honest in their intent that they put those words in italics so you and I, the reader, some 400 years later, would know what words they added to make the sentence make sense. Now, you can't get any more honest than that. Now, in this particular case here, as you come on down through here, and you remember I told you last week that uh, from the close of the book of Acts up to 1900, nobody on planet Earth spoke in tongues. Nobody healed. We came through the Bible basics yesterday, and I showed you uh, when we came through the seven stages of church history, the seven periods of church history. I showed you that the great missionaries that went out around the world in the Philadelphian church age, most of them were doctors, and they were doctors because they were going to primitive countries where they, medicine was unheard of and they, people were under disease, so they actually went as medical doctor missionaries. Why? Because they didn't have the power to heal. And you're certainly going to tell me that Dr. David Livingston, Robert Moffat, who spent 51 years in Cape Town, South Africa, 
You're going to tell me that Adonai and Junction, who spent his whole life in Burma, you're going to tell me that these guys who invested their whole life, many of them bury their wives and their children on the mission field? You're going to tell me that when David Livingston, Dr. Livingston, died in Africa, the natives loved him so much and knew his burden for Africa before they sent him back to Westminster Abbey to bury him there? The natives cut out his heart and buried it in the soil of Africa because they knew that's where his heart was? You're going to tell me that those men didn't have the power of God in their lives? I wonder where they'd bury your heart tonight if you died. These men were the men that had the power of God. And not one of them spoke in tongues. Not one of them had the power to heal. And the King James translators, when they translated your Bible, knew that tongues was not unknown tongues, the tongues of angels. What the church of Corinth was doing was not legitimate. They knew what real tongues were. And they knew what the church at Corinth was all about. And they knew that the unknown tongue, this heavenly angelic language that they talk about, this jibber-jabbish that they were doing was not biblical. So the King James translators put the word unknown in front of that word so you know that was not the real tongues of Acts chapter 2. And they were in a charismatic on the planet Mars, Venus, and Saturn that understands what I just said. But that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. The words in italics were there because of the fact that they knew that that was not Bible tongues and he wanted the reader to know that what they were doing, you had to go through there and look at the places where Paul talks about real tongues in the chapter and then they talk about the unknown tongues. He doesn't put unknown tongues when Paul talks about it. We'll see it in a minute. There's a difference between tongues in a legitimate sense and the unknown tongues of the church at Corinth. And the King James translators were smart enough to know that that was not the real tongue. So when they translated it from one language to another, they put that word in there so you would know and put an italics to draw your attention to it. So, da, if you're spiritual and you're inquiring and you want to know the truth, you'd ask yourself, why is that? When you find it out, it makes the whole thing just go away. But we don't care what the Bible says anymore. Now, let me show you the second section here. And this will be chapter 14, verses 4 through 12. And this is where I'll show you what I was talking about just a second ago. Verse 4. He that speaketh in an unknown, now it's in italics there, or it should be. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesied edifieth the church. I would that you all spake with tongue, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret, that the church may receive edification. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophecy or by doctrine? And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, shall be it be known uh, what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? And likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, and it may be so, many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without uh, uh, signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian." And he shall speak as shall be a barbarian unto me. 
Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Now, this is a great second section here that you need to mark off because, and you want to put this by this. This, this section, basically we see that the job of the church, first and foremost, is to edify. If you look back at 14.3, it said uh, that the three things are supposed to happen when you go to church. You're here this morning, you're in church. Three things ought to happen today for you and to you. One, you ought to get edified. Two, you ought to get exhortation. Three, you ought to get comfort. Those are the three things that you ought to leave here with. Every Sunday you should leave better than when you came, as I said just a moment ago. And the job of the church, first and foremost, is to edify you. That's the job of the church. That's not what the church at Corinth was doing. They had taken the spiritual gifts of tongues, made it into an unknown tongue, and are lifting themselves up, edifying themselves, and the church is getting nothing. Because unknown tongues bring zero edification. Prophecy brings and preaching brings 100% edification. Edification, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. The gifts that he gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And the third thing was what? Edifying of the body of Christ. That's the job. My job is to teach you truth clearly, plainly, where you can grasp it, that when you leave here, you leave better than you came in. That through the aspect, through the aspect of edification, exhortation, and your comfort that you leave here better than when you came in. You see, to edify somebody helps you grow. And that's the job of the church. The job of the church is to help you grow by continuing giving you truth, wisdom, understanding, to help you figure it out that in our church, Sunday mornings, Thursday nights, special classes like the Bible basics, the one-on-one, it all leads to one thing. It helps perfect you and puts you into the work of the ministry as you get edified as the body of Christ. This is what the church of Corinth is not doing. He's saying when you speak in an unknown tongue or even an unknown language and nobody understands, nobody gets edified. I mean, that's what he's saying. He says in verse 4, he says, you edify yourself and nobody else. Now look at verse 5, 6, and 9. Why well, would rather that you all speak with tongues? You see, there's no unknown there. Look at verse 6. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongue, there's no unknown there. Look at verse 9. So likewise, ye except you utter by, by the tongue words. There's no unknown there. You see, When Paul talks about the correct usage of tongues in the biblical sense, he doesn't put the word unknown in front of it. But when he's talking about the jibber-jabbish, that unbiblical stuff that they're doing, that's when the King James translators put the word unknown in so you know there was a difference between the two. And That is Bible basic. I can't figure, how do you read a map and you can't figure that out in your Bible? I mean, that's as easy as the sun coming up in the morning. Verse 9 says, in a church you edify people, here it is, with words that are easy to understand. You don't get up and talk about concepts and words that people don't understand. What good is it I get up here and I talk to you about stodiontology? 
What good is it up here I talk about angelology? What good is it I talk about eschatology? What good is it I stand up here and talk about and use words that nobody in the Bible ever used? And you're supposed to go out and be edified with that? You'd have to have a Webster's Dictionary you'd carry around with you. Edifying is done by taking the Bible, breaking it down into a simple form with words that are easy to understand and then giving you those words and giving you the truth. This is the number one job that I do. My job is real simple. It may have many aspects to it, but the fundamental number one aspect of my job is to take a Bible that looks hard and complicated and then show you how easy and simple it is. And brother, if you just finished Bible basics, you know that's exactly what we did. We took a Bible that everybody tells you takes thousands of years to learn. We took a Bible that everybody in this city says you've got to know Greek and Hebrew to figure out. We took a Bible that runs 36,170-some words. We took a Bible that just it completely, uh, it, the world looks at it, and Christians look at it and think it's unapproachable, and I showed you how basic and easy it is. And just in three months, in just three classes, if you did your work, you're farther ahead than most guys who spend three years in Bible college of getting a handle on your Bible. Why? That's the job of the church. Where did we get the idea that the pastor's job is to make it more complicated? Your life is already complicated enough. You don't need me adding to the complication of it. And when we see this and understand this, you do edification by words that are easy to understand. Uh, I told you yesterday that in September 24th, I'm again, I'm going to take one last Saturday and I'm going to show you 20 or 30 key words in your Bible that are easy words that will break the whole Bible down for you in context where every time you find this word in Scripture, that tells you what you're dealing with. All right, now look at section 3 and this will be verse 13 through 19. Now, here's where we start to get the rules on speaking in tongues. You want to get these rules down. Kind of laid a Ford format here. Now, here we go. Wherefore, because of what I just said, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue and my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit. I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou uh, shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at the giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank God I speak with tongues more than you all. Here it comes. Yet in the church. See that thing? In the church. In the church. In the New Testament local church. The church. I'd rather speak five words of my understanding by my voice that I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Now, I've been preaching now for about 40 minutes. And I didn't count the words I've said, but I guarantee you I've said more than five. And if I got five to 10,000 right now, I'm probably looking about whatever I've said to you is probably at least six or seven million times more important than anybody getting up and giving you five days straight of speaking in tongues. You know why? Because you can understand what I said. Now look what he says in verse 14 through 18. Note the example that he uses. In verse 15 he says, you pray and people understand what you say. You sing songs in your spirit 
and people get blessed by the words of the song. And people say amen because they understand what you're saying. So when you pray and you sing the words of the song or your words in a prayer, people get edified. So, but when you start to preach, you speak in an unknown tongue, nobody knows what in the world you're saying. So nobody gets edified. And this is what he's saying. This is what he's saying. And in the church, five words of understanding are better than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. Now here's rule number one. Here's rule number one. If you're going to speak in tongues, you've got to have an interpreter. If you're going to speak in tongues, you've got to have an interpreter. Now, tongues in the original form were a language. We know that. We've studied that from Acts chapter 2. And when somebody would speak in tongues to somebody, to the languages that were there, there'd be other people that didn't know it. Somebody would interpret for them what he's saying, much like if you go to a foreign country. I've spoken through an interpreter many, many times. That I speak it in English and he speaks it in Spanish or German or whatever the case may be, and you go through a translator. The people that speak German and do not speak English understand it. The people that speak English and not German, they understand it. Everybody gets edified. Bo, when you stand up there and you talk about something that nobody can interpret... You see, what he did is basically with rule number one, throughout speaking in an unknown tongue. Bah, bah, bah. Let me show you how human nature gets around that. Remember now, you're spiritual, you're prophet. These things are the commandment of the Lord. He just told you that you can't speak in a tongue whether it's unknown or a language if there's not an interpreter because the number one issue is not you speaking in tongues, it's the church getting edified. And if nobody knows what you're saying, what's the point? You know the Roman Catholic Church, what they did after Vatican II? Uh, they put the Mass in English. Before Vatican II, the Mass was in Latin. And a lot of the old-time Catholics, they liked that. I mean, the Catholic Church got a lot of things going for it if you, if you just like that aspect of religion. I mean, you're in a big, old, dead, dark, beautiful building. It echoes. And the mysterious mystique about it is going to a church service where some guy gets up and says, Amino, nonamino, dominus, blessed be the, you know, blessed be the fruit of the womb, you know, in Latin. And everybody says, oh, my God, that is so spiritual. <laughs> you walk out of there, oh, that was a spiritual time. Yeah, what did he say? Well, I don't know what he said, but, man, I sure felt spiritual, you know. <laughs> and the younger Catholics quit going. And the church had a dilemma. And then what they did, after Vatican II, they started putting the masses in English. You know why? Because the younger crowd coming up, they were going there saying, what is that all about? I don't even know what he said. So they would go someplace where they understood something. So they had to adjust to that. And that's what you got here. You came to here every morning and every Sunday, and all I did was get up and jibber-jabber, and I was dancing around and had the power of God in my life. And you said, boy, he sure is happy. I'll tell you what, that was a great service this morning. Yeah, what did he say? What did you get out of it? I don't know. I, I, he, he can jump. <laughs> I mean, that, that, you, know, you don't get anything out of it. You've got to have an interpreter. But let me show you how human nature gets around that. And human nature gets around that. In, years ago, years ago uh, I had three charismatic guys come into uh, my, my Sunday school ministry years ago. And they started putting out this stuff about speaking in tongues and all that. So finally, I, I you know, I, I, I called them in. And, uh, you know, and, and they would go to the point where I'd say, look, uh, what are you guys doing? 
And there's three of them. And the one kid said, well, he said, I have the gifts of healing. And the other kid, I said, that's great. And the other kid said, and I have the gift of tongues. And the latter kid said, well, I have the gift of interpretation of tongues. So I said, well, that's great. I have a gift. Mine is discernment. And I think you're both, all three of you are phony. So don't do it anymore. Human nature will always find a way around it. If you don't want to do what the Bible says, I mean, he said you got to have an interpreter. And if you speak in an unknown tongue and nobody can interpret it, then don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Years ago, I had a friend of mine, he's in the ministry, his name's Jim Lake. We did a lot of things back when I was young that were probably goofy things. I don't think you get away with it now. But back then, we, used, we had what we called a tent ministry. And it wasn't really a go up and put up a tent and preach. It was to go to, we had a lot of charismatic evangelists came through and they put up tents on empty fields and have big revival services. And the tent ministry was going in and taking over the tent. And, um, and if you were smart about it, it was real easy to do. And that's where I learned a lot of preaching. I, I don't tell you this to do it today. I don't think you can do it today. You get shot. But anyway, but back then, it, they, were, they, were, they were pretty stupid. And if you went in there and you sit down in the front row and you, and you got in there, sooner or later, the guy's going to, and he always would do that. We'd all take turns doing it. And the guy would say, uh, if you want to give a testimony. Well, we know that the guy hadn't preached yet, and he's going to basically just waste a lot of people's time. So we had always worked the deal where whoever's night it was that when the guy would ask if anybody want to testify here, one of the guys would say yes. And so the guy would go up to testify. He'd preach for 40 minutes. Okay? <laughs> and one night I was, my turn was up and the guy said, uh, uh, I want to hear from the happiest man. He was bouncing around, you know, and doing all their goofy stuff. And he said, I want to hear from the happiest man here. And I said, that's me. I'm right here. That's me. He says, come on up here and tell. I preached for an hour. I preached for an hour, had three people saved, you know, I, it, it's what you did. But my old buddy, Jim Lake, he's a pastor up in Mount Villa, Vermont. He was, he was, he was, was a lot longer, older in the Lord than I was. And he was, he helped me in a lot of ways. He was a tongue speaker in our crowd and he would always tear up the service. And another thing that we did that he would get up and he'd start speaking in tongues, but it would be the Bible babble stuff, no language. And sure enough, to pull the facade off, the phony person in the crowd, some lady would get up and start interpreting. So Jim is going off a lot about that, some die fee, fi, fo, fum, you know, blah, blah, an Englishman, you know, and he goes through that thing. And sure enough, this lady jumps up on the side and she starts saying in English what he's saying and blessing the crowd. Jim goes about five or six minutes, then he stops and looks at her and he says, That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> and then he take over, see? You got to have an interpreter. You got to have an interpreter. And it, it, biblically, this puts them right out of business. But you see, human nature always finds a way. Now, I'll show you the fourth section. Look at verse 20 and 22. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet, for all that I will, they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, tongues, here it is, are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not, but prophesying serveth them for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Now, here's rule number two. And you notice how me and Paul are on the same track? 
You know, the second rule he gave them is the very first thing I gave you. He quotes Isaiah chapter 28. I gave you that three weeks ago. And he goes back to Isaiah 28 and tells them that, shows them the prophecy of Isaiah 28 verse 11, that tongues are for the nation of Israel. He goes right back to the Bible, just like I did. And he goes back and he quotes exactly. And verse 21 says, this people, Isaiah 28, 14 says, this people that's in Jerusalem. And he puts it right back in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, just like we did. He says, the sign for them that believe not, that's Israel. He says, prophesying is not for them to believe not. Prophesying is for you that are already saved that you grow. I told you this Thursday night. Most people don't understand the fundamental concept of the church. Most people don't realize that the fundamental concept of a New Testament local church, God didn't start the church to save anybody. Did you notice over there in Ephesians 4 when he gave gifts unto men? He said, for the what? He said, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God never intended the church to save anybody. God intended the church to equip you, to give you the tools, to make you what God wanted you to be, to get into the ministry, and then you go out and win them to Christ. And then you bring them to church, they get edified, they get, yeah, we get somebody comes in here, you know, brings in, and they get saved in the Bible study, and they're saved in the church. That's going to happen. But fundamentally, that's not the job of the church. The job of the church is to equip you. Fundamentally, your job is to bear fruit between you and the Holy Spirit of God and winning people to Christ. Then you bring them back here. We train them up, and the whole process Jesus keeps going over. That's the concept. And that's why that we're here not this morning not to get people saved. Though if you want to get saved, I'm glad to lead you to Christ. But my primary purpose is not to get people saved. Then you have pastors who, who, who mess that up. Every sermon they get up, it's about somebody needs to get saved. I've been in churches where all the guy knows when he gets up there, he may start wherever he starts. He winds up screaming and yelling and just talking about everybody dying, going to hell. And he never teaches his people anything about the Bible. He never edifies anybody. He's got one channel, and that is win people to Christ. I'm all for winning people to Christ, but I'm also smart enough to know that I, I, this church on Sunday morning, it's going to be very limited in winning people to Christ. If I train 150 people here this morning to go out in the world and win people to Christ and then bring them back here, that's what I'm talking about. That's the way it's supposed to work. And that's why the fundamental job is to edify you, light a fire under you, get you to realize that when God saves you, he gave you a job, and that job is get the power of God, but you got to get some things out of your life to get the power of God. you got to have the character of God. That's edification. That's exhortation. And edifying is to give you truth. Exhortation is a lighting a fire under your rump to get it done. And that's why, you know, uh, you've seen it in this church. We've had planning sessions on New Year's Eve where we've laid out the next year and somebody was lost and we gave an invitation and they got saved. How do you get saved at a planning meeting? Unless you just don't want to get left out of the plan. I, I don't know. It happens. But the bottom line is fundamentally that's what not this church is about. The church is about is getting you equipped to be God's missionary, God's evangelist that wherever you go, you win them to Christ. And bring them back, and then we get them equipped by edification. And, of course, if we stand up here and just do all the Fruit Loop stuff and just talk about all the stuff that doesn't edify anybody, nobody gets it. Nobody gets it done. 
and we walk around thinking, leaving, wow, we had a great service with God today. We had a great encounter with God. We had a great time. We spoke in tongues and we felt the Spirit. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Everybody leaves and says, that was the stupidest thing I've ever been in my life. Now look at section 5, verses 23 through 32. Here it comes. If therefore the whole church be come together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say you're mad? You betcha they will. That's why we get called holy rollers. If you all prophesy and there come in one that believeth not or one unlearned, he is convinced of all and he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest so that falling down on his face he will worship God, report uh, that God is in you of a truth. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, a revelation, interpretation, let all things be done unto edifying. And if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter... Let him keep silent in the church. Let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophet speak two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For you all may prophesy one by one, that you all may learn and all may be comforted. And then a great verse, the spirits of the prophet are subject to the prophet. Now here's rule number three. Rule number three. And rule number three is that in any given situation, Paul's given us, only three people can speak in tongues. And notice, it's not unknown. It's tongues. Paul doesn't use unknown here. He says only three people can speak in tongues, and they can't do it at the same time. It says by course. One, two, three. Here's how it worked in the early church. They got together and somebody said, okay, we're going to start the service now. And somebody said, well, we got some Japanese people here. I got a message. I want to speak in tongues from God. He said, do you have an interpreter? Yes, I do. Go ahead. You can do it. He's done. Somebody said, brother, I got a message to the Japanese, to the Korean people that are here. Do you have an interpreter so we all can get it? Yes, I do. Go ahead and speak in tongues. Third guy after to get up there. Okay, folks. Somebody said, well, brother, I got one too. We got some Mexican people here today. How did Mexican people get over to the Middle East? Don't worry about it. They're here. The bus broke down and they're stuck here. I invite them to church. I want to speak to them in Mexican. Do you have an interpreter? Yes, I do. Go ahead. So he preaches that thing. He says, okay. And then somebody else says, uh, okay, I got a message. And some of the ladies said, well, I got a message in tongues. He said, no, folks. One, two, or three. Open your Bibles. We're going to have some preaching now. That's how they did it. That's exactly, that's what it says. Uh, are you spiritual? Are you a prophet? then you acknowledge that these things are the commandments of the Lord. He says, one, two, three, by course. And if you have no interpreter, keep silent. That's how it works. He says, if an unsaved man comes in and hears a hundred people going off at the same time and everybody hanging from the ceiling, is he not going to say you're nuts? But if the same man comes to a place that somebody is preaching a paint off the wall and he's preaching in a language that you can hear and he's preaching the word of God and he's laying the thing out, Everybody gets convinced, everybody gets convicted, and the guy falls down on his face. He gets saved. Verse 26. Let all things be done for edification. If you're not edifying the people when they come to church, 
and you're not doing it by the rules, then you're doing it wrong. And I don't know of one charismatic church on the planet today that even knows these rules, much less follows them. And then verse 32 is a great verse in principle. For the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You know what that verse says? That verse says you control your own spirit and what you do. There's lots of things I would like to say to you when I preach or say to people when I preach that I don't say it. I have things in the back of my mind that I think that probably would nail some people right between the eyeballs and, and, and hopefully would get them right with God. But I don't do it. There's things that I'd like to maybe express in one way and put it down into a way that everybody would get it. But I don't do it. You know why? Because the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. When you do God's work, you keep yourself under control to the point that you don't look like an idiot. I'm not up here representing me. I'm not even up here representing Old Past Baptist Church. I'm up here representing God. And if you think I'm going to look like an idiot... Because I do something absolutely stupid and off the wall, everybody goes, I do enough dumb thing without somebody just doing it on purpose. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You control what you do. I've seen places, you know, I grew up in the middle of it. And right up the road in Akron, Ohio, was a guy by the name of Ernest Ainsley. And Ernest Ainsley was one of the greatest healers that you ever saw. And he'd have church services and they'd be lined up through 300 people. His big deal was casting out demons. And people would come down and he'd, he'd, he'd not let them talk and he'd ask them something and shut them up and he'd, he'd just take them and hit them. He'd have two big guys right behind him and he'd just take them and he'd, he'd come out, come out! And he'd hit them right square in the face. Knock them out. And they'd go back and, and the people would carry him off and everybody would claw and say, he's been delivered, he's been delivered. And people believed that. He was known as the greatest healer, and his wife died. His wife's name was Angel. And if you would go to that grave site, there's a big golden angel uh, standing on her green, that they sculpture and he put on there. This guy's worth millions. And her name was Angel, and, he, she, and she died. And the greatest healer in Ohio could not save her from dying, nor, oh, he could bring everybody else back from the dead. He could heal everybody else in a 200 line, but he couldn't do his wife. But he's so phony. And he always would explain it away while God is going to bring her back. Do you know what he did? My wife knows this is true. It would be that you go to that graveyard and go to that grave. It will be the only graveyard and the only grave plot with a phone line going down into it. Because Ernest Ainsley buried a phone in his wife's casket so that when God brought her back to life, she could call and have him get her out. Now, God is the only one who can appreciate the real beauty in that because obviously when they were carrying her down and dropping her in that hole, somebody dropped the casket on the wrong end and the phone's off the hook. He cannot figure out why he gets an unknown busy signal every day. This woman is a talker. You're laughing, but you know what? That man made millions and millions and millions of dollars off of stupid God's people who bought into that, who never read their Bible, never got into that Bible, and he would funnel money into that just like it was, it was, it was just like he was Robert Shuler. And that's what it is, boy. You go into those places that a thousand people are going jibber-jabbering at the same time. People are falling over the pews, kicking around, going around in a circle. You think breakdancing is bad. Go to a charismatic church sometime. They're passing out. They're falling over, being slain in the spirit. Some unsaved guy comes in there and he says, I want out of here. 
You come into a place where somebody is taking a paint off the wall and you're unsaved, you may be uncomfortable, you may want out, you may not like it, but you're getting a message. Now, here's probably the greatest, this is section four, it's one verse, and this is rule number four. This is in verse 33. This is a great principle. For God is not the author of confusion. That's a great verse, but peace is in all churches of the saints. This is one of the greatest principles in the Bible, not just for, for your own personal life, but for in this particular situation here. That's why it's in this chapter. God's not the author of confusion. When you go into a church and it's confusing, when you go into a church that isn't, isn't plain and simple, when you go into a church that isn't, everything isn't made where you can get it and grasp it and get a handle on it, and it's all confusing and you're wondering around what's going on and who's doing what and who's saying what, then that's a principle here and it's a rule. God is not in that. Now, if you're spiritual and you think yourself to be a prophet, that there is a commandment of the Lord. God is not the author of confusion. And again, verse 26, let all things be done unto edifying. And that's what you've got. Now look at section 7. This will be 34 and 35, and this will be rule number 5. Now remember now, this is going to be a touchy one. Are you spiritual? You think yourself to be a prophet? Do you? Huh? Are you? Okay. You got... You're charismatic. You got the gifted one. You got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're really in touch with God. Okay. Well, then you got to acknowledge that these things are the commandment of the Lord. Look at verse 34. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for it's not permitted for them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience as also under the law. Then the rule number five is no women get to speak in tongues. Now, what do you do with that? I'll, I'll tell you what they do with it. Uh, and this is a good thing. I'll tell you what they do with it. They'll tell you that that's not speaking about tongues. I had a woman one time, and I was in a deal, and I said, well, the women don't speak in tongues. And I said, she says, and she, and, and if you took the women out of the charismatic movement, you wouldn't have a charismatic movement. And she was all hot. Three or four other ladies were all hot. And she said, that's not what that's talking about. And I said, well, ma'am, that's what it's talking about. That's the context. And I was getting ready to explain it to her, biblical. But, you know, the Bible says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest to be wide in her own conceit. Well, then sometimes it says, answer a fool not to his folly. So I when she was shooting her mouth off, I decided to go on that one instead of the first one. And she said, that's not what it's talking about. She said, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're teaching heresy. And I said, oh, what is it saying? It says that a woman shouldn't even speak in church. I said, well, shut up and sit down then. <laughs> I mean, either way you go, you're fixed. You're fixed. And then here again, a complete rejection. Did you ever notice that all false religions or all heresy teachings, they all have to add something other than the Bible. The Jehovah Witnesses used the King James Bible for almost, almost 100 years. And they were getting their tails kicked by Baptists with the King James Bible so much that finally they had to dump that. And they come up with their own translation that they changed everything in and they wanted to go along with. It's called the New World Translation. Totally theirs. We got Mormons that live over here in Independence in the great Mormon church out in Utah. You see, they have a Bible, but the Bible isn't enough for them because they can't prove what they want to believe from a Bible. So they got to have a book of Mormons that adds to the Bible to get across what the Bible doesn't say, but what they want to believe. See how it works? That's how it works. Catholics do the same thing. You can't find anything that Catholics teach in the Bible, so they got to have the Apocrypha. They had 14 more books that you don't have just so they can prove what they want to believe. You know, modern-day Baptists do the same thing. They do the same thing. They're all in the same boat. They can't just take the Bible where it is. They got to go to the Greek and the Hebrew to get it, their point across. I mean, they all do it. And the charismatic does the exact same thing. Muslims do it. Muslims can't stand the Bible the way it is. 
Because in their Bible, in the Bible that you and I got, all the blessings and the promises go to Isaac. They can't deal with that. So they got to write their own book called the Quran that takes all the promises from Isaac and puts them on Ishmael. They can't stick with the one book. Nobody can. Nobody can. The Jews do the exact same thing. They don't teach out of the Old Testament anymore. They teach out of the Midrash or the Talmud. You know what that is? That's two books the rabbi wrote to get around the Bible with all the prophecies of Jesus Christ in it. Charismatic does the same thing. He doesn't accept the Bible. His experience is his, his deal. What he's experienced, his speaking in tongues. I've had him tell me a thousand times, you can't deny my experience. I said, sure I can, watch. Well, this is my experience. This is what I have. This is what I take. The Bible says this. I don't care what the Bible says. I've had the experience. That's their final authority. Now, like it or not, and as hard as it may be, that is the true test for any church. If you're looking for a church, just give you a piece of advice. Don't cost you nothing. The thing you want to look for is a church that believes the Bible plus nothing. The Bible plus nothing. If the Bible isn't everything we need in the form that God gave it to us, then we're wasting our time. If I got to go out and get something else that man wrote to prove what I want to believe because I can't substantiate it in here, I'm in the wrong business. The true test of any ministry, any church, or any preacher, or any Christian for that matter, is your stand on this book that it's this book plus nothing. Zero. That's it. That's it. Now, let's get a context of this in this chapter. We're big on context around here, and we should be. 21 times in this chapter, you got to mark these. I'm going to give them to you. Get a little yellow pen and mark them. They're all marked in my Bible. It's the way you want to do it. You can't go to heaven without a yellow china marker. (laughs) Now, look at verse 2 in chapter 14. You see the word speak or some form of that word two times in verse 2. You find it once in verse 3. You find it once in verse 4. You find it two more times in verse 5. You find it two times in verse 6. Once in verse 9. You find it two times in verse 11. Once in verse 13. Once in verse 14. Once in verse 18. Once in verse 19. Once in verse 21. Once in verse 23. Once in 27. Once in 28. Once in 29. Now you've got 21 times that he uses the word speak or some form of that word, and every one of those times he uses it, he's talking about speaking in tongues. But suddenly when we get to verse 34, it's talking about something else. You're out of your mind. The context of this chapter is speaking in tongues. And rule number five and section number seven is women don't speak with tongues. End of story, period, explanation mark. But see, that's kind of tough when you realize that the charismatic movement started in 1900 out in Los Angeles with a woman. So it blows your whole thing right out the window. Oh, Amy McPherson Simpson. The Azula Street Mission on Azula Street in Los Angeles. Still there. The mission's still there. And that's what you're dealing with. Now, you're a prophet. You're spiritual. Well, these things are the commandment of the Lord. You see, that book will make you or break you. God will put you in a situation just like that when you have to change the way you think or you have to just walk away from the clear teaching of the Bible because that book reads your meter, brother. It'll pull your dipstick and you'll be four quarts low. I guarantee you. All right, section eight. Ah, section eight. That's where we all need to be. What came the word of God out from you? This is Paul now talking to them. 
What? Came the word of God out from you or came it unto you only? And this is where he gives us our great verse. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I read unto you are commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, convert to, cover to prophesy, and for not to speak with tongues, let all things be done decently and in order. Now, rule number six is that God has an order in everything he does. That's true of everything in the Bible. But what you're getting in chapter 14 that puts the end to the spiritual gifts concept is he's showing you that if you're going to speak in tongue, then you better do it by the Bible. And if you don't do it by the Bible, then don't do it. And all things have to be done decently and in order. What you saw yesterday at the end of our Bible basics or at the end of that third one, anyhow, that's what we did with the Bible, didn't we? I told you yesterday that what we did was basically take the Bible and break it down into eight sections, show you the order of those eight sections, and then give you not only the main events that take place from Genesis to Revelation, but we simply put them in the right order. Now you have everything in the right order, the way it lays out with the definitions of what it is. That's how you learn your Bible. God does everything in an order. An orderly fashion by an orderly God. Everything needs to be done in order. When I was in Ohio... You know, we, like to, we went out to the mall one day and we were walking around and, you know, the kids were getting a little dinky stuff and getting kid, my girls were picking up stuff they needed to get them. And I was, so I'm sitting down, you know, and I'm just kind of sitting in the middle of the mall. I like to watch people. And there was this lady that was sitting next to me. She's probably, you know, she's probably maybe late 50s, or early 60s. And, uh, you know, and, and she was very nice, very nice dressed lady. And and she was sitting, you know how they put those big easy chairs out in the mall, and she was sitting here, and I was sitting there. And the grandkids came over, and you know, as usually wanted money, you know, and so <laughs> you send them on their way. And, and she's very pleasant. And she says, uh, I take it you're not from around here. And I said, no, we're from Ohio. And she's very nice to talk to. She, she, she said, oh, she says, what part? Are, I said, I'm from Kansas City. I said, I'm originally from Ohio. And she said, oh, what part uh, of Missouri are you from? I said, Kansas City. And she said, oh, she says, I hear that's lovely country. I said, yeah. She said, what do you do? She said, beautiful grandkids. And I said, yeah. I said, they're adopted, but they're really nice. <laughs> she says, that's not true, is it? No. <laughs> Who's your favorite grandpa in the whole wide world? All right, okay. So she said, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a pastor. She says, oh, a pastor. She says, I was married to a pastor once. And I said, oh, really? I said, you know, I'm not going to say, well, what happened to that? You know, I said, that's, you know, that's, that's nice. I said, that's great. And then she began to tell me. She says, do you do a, what kind of, uh, what kind of church do you have? And I said, we have a Baptist church. And she says, oh, she says, she says, uh, and I told her most of our church is young couples. And she says, oh, that's wonderful. She says, I bet you do a lot of marital counseling. And I said, oh, yeah. They said, that's probably the number one problem. She says, oh, I know. She says, you know what? She says, I found the secret to, to, to the life. And, and it really, and it was just getting things in the right order. And I thought, well, I'm just, maybe she's going to teach me something. She says, yes, I've been married four times. <laughs> and she says, you can tell your people. She says, she, and now she's like we're old buddies now, you know. And she's tapping me on the shoulder, you know. And she says, you can tell your people. She says, the key to a great life is being married four times. And I said, really? And I said, yes. She says, my first husband, my first husband was a banker. And I said, well, that was nice. And I said, yeah. She says, then I married him for a while. My second husband was a movie producer. And I said, well, that's really good. She said, now my third husband, he was the preacher. 
And I said, well, that's, that's, that's an interesting order. She said, oh, no, my last husband, the one I'm married to right now, he's an undertaker. <laughs> and I said, well, that's pretty interesting. I said, okay, may I ask what's the reasoning behind that? She said, oh, it's easy. One for the money, two for the show, <laughs> three to get ready, <laughs> and four to go. <laughs> And she says, she said, she says, didn't you like that? <laughs> I said, yeah. Mm, off the thing she went on the cement. Now that's an order. She had an order to everything. You gotta have an order. The Bible's in an order. God is an orderly God. And that's what you gotta have, you see. The church of Corinth, they're acting like the Bible started and ended with them. They're acting like that they're right and everybody else is wrong. And Paul says, he says there, he says, what? Came the word of God out from you or came it to you only? You think you guys uh, have the corner on the Bible? You got all this spiritual, spiritual stuff going on that you're trying to pretend you're, you're the only people in the world that's got the truth. He says, let me tell you something. If any man think he's a prophet or you think you're spiritual... Do you? I mean, you're acting like it. Then he nails them. Well, let me tell you something. If you're a prophet and you're spiritual, then the things I'm telling you are the commandments of God. Now, you either got a fish or cut bait. You either get it lined up with the Word of God, or if you want to stay ignorant, stay ignorant. Shoot yourself, whatever you want to do. But then he closes out by saying this, that all things be done decently and in order. And when it comes to spiritual gifts in these chapters, that's what he does. And you should get that in your Bible. You should understand these three chapters as a set. You should get what he said in chapter 12, break it down, get what he said in chapter 13, break it down, and then break down what we did today and get the rules. Because the rules put the charismatic right out of business today. And then it's real easy. It's real simple. And your choice today, wherever you're sitting on a fence with it, it's real easy. You're either going to take the Bible which now you were told that the things that I just gave you wasn't from Bob Alexander. It was from the commandments of the Lord or you reject it. You take the book or you hold on to your experience or your grandmother's experience or your uncle's experience or somebody in your family's experience or your mother's experience. Now, here's the bottom line. I have a completed Bible. This is why I don't need tongues today. Somebody comes to me and says, I've got a message in tongues. My first question is, is it in the Bible? Yes, it is. Then what do I need it from you for when I can read it myself? Somebody says, I've got a message from God. Is it in the Bible? No, it's not. But I don't want it. i got everything I need right here. This church stands on the Bible plus nothing. If this Bible can't get us through life and everything in life and everything we've got to experience in life, then we're, we're shot. This, if, if, if this book isn't what God claimed it to be, then I doubt of God's who he claimed to be. This book is the absolute standard of your life and my life by which it's all you need. Man from time and eternity has tried to add to this book, bring other things in to get his point across when he didn't agree with what God said. We don't do that here. We believe the book as we find it and we take it as we find it and we believe it as God gave it to us. And we don't look for anything else. The Bible is not a book to us that contains truth. The Bible to us is a book that is all truth. And that's just the way that it is. And that's why I told you, you find how these things work and you need to learn these things 
My job here is to help edify you. If you're saved here this morning, no matter when you got saved, no matter where you're at in this spiritual pecking order of God, God has something he wants you to do. You may begin to understand it now. You may not get it. You may not have a clue. But I guarantee you, wherever you're at in your walk with God, if you are saved, God has something that he wants you to accomplish. The only way you're going to do that is to get edified, get exhorted, get comforted, and get everything that you need from that book that the Spirit of God can begin to manifest himself through you. You got to get rid of the character qualities of you and you got to get the character qualities of God. When you do that, the Spirit of God will give you the gifts and the power for you to do whatever God wants you to do. That's what you've got, chapter 12, 13, and 14. And we'll hold up there. Now, let's have a word of prayer. Uh, the tapes are ready to be picked up for those of you from Bible Basics class yesterday. If you'd like to get them, help yourself to the bookstore also if you'd like to. Uh, 4.30 today, let's be here on time. We'll have a great time. Looking forward to it. All our military guys, if you're a visitor here this morning, you're certainly all welcome to come back. You say, well, I didn't sign up. Don't worry about it. Come on and come. Don't bring nothing. Just show up. You're, be our guest this afternoon. We're thankful that you're here today. Hope you come back. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Don't forget, John Christensen, guys, wants to meet his work team over here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you. We thank you for the word of God, for its truth. We pray now, Father, that you'll dismiss us, bring us back this afternoon, that we may honor and, and uh, the men and, and women in our church that have been faithful in, uh, in serving uh, our country. We thank you for bringing Shane home and keeping him safe. And Lord, uh, Ned, I know he's got to go back, but we pray your hand upon him. And let us just have a great time today as a family in this church is what we are. We all love each other. We all just care for each other the way it should be. And Lord, let us always do things decently in order. Never let us stray from that book. Always let everything we do be based on just a simple book that God gave us. And help me edify people with words easy to understand. And help me, Lord, to take them and bring them and give them everything that they need, that they have the best chance to be used of God. Because, Lord, this church in itself is not the tool that you want to use. It's only made up of the people that you put in it. And help them to get to the point where they become a missionary for you and a witness for you in everything that they do, in their jobs, in their lives, in their school, and all that they do. We'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For a sake we ask it. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.